Well, I'm going to ask you to turn with me today to Luke chapter 17. We're going to read a story that's a great text for Thanksgiving as we're here in Luke's gospel, thinking about gratitude and our need to grow in, in that category of our lives. So let's, uh, let's read together here in Luke 17, verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a great little story. You've probably read it before. You've probably heard it. Hopefully you've pondered this before. And God has spoken to you through this story. The first thing I'm struck with, this is is not a parable, by the way. This is a a true, real-life, historical event that happened one day as Jesus was going on his way from Samaria to Galilee. It, It has a ring of authenticity. He's on his journey. He encounters 10 hurting men, 10 guys that are in a desperate condition. And as I read this, I think, what would cause me to shout at the top of my voice, giving glory to God, and then fall down on my face with thanksgiving and with awe before Jesus? You know, the, the first story I thought of was that, that story that they made a movie out of uh, back in 2010. Remember when the 33 guys down in Chile were, were trapped in a mine for, what was it, like two months? And... and Can you imagine at the end of that ordeal when they were rescued and all 33 of them brought out of the cave? I think that would be a a moment of just screaming at the top of your lungs, thank you, and falling down, and and for each of their families as well, thank you that our loved one, dad, is, is home, that our brother, our son, survived this ordeal and you rescued him and found a way to bring him out. What about you? What would cause you to shout at the top of your voice and not care about what you look like to anybody else, maybe fall down on your face in front of someone. Maybe for some of you, it's a family member surprising you at Thanksgiving and showing up when you didn't think they were going to be here. Maybe it's the bank calls you and says an anonymous donor just paid off your mortgage. That would probably do it for most of us, right? You know, for, uh, and, and I think sometimes you get it in the, in the opposite order. Sometimes you fall down first, and then later you get to the point of, in a loud voice, giving thanks. That happened to our family recently. Uh, we were at the point of falling down at Jesus' feet, kind of maybe not in the thankful part, but just in the, you are the Lord, we trust in you phase, and then eventually you get to the giving thanks part. So I guess today's the day to yell in a loud voice and tell you guys that Gilboy baby number eight is due at the end of June. So we had some varying responses. Uh, I didn't see all of you applauding. There were some raised eyebrows. Um, 
Norm thought that perhaps it wasn't wise to bring the Carey family in in October. Um, being that they have 10 children, he thought that may have put us into a competitive mode. <laughs> Larry was a bit more benevolent. He thought that this was maybe just a practical, real-life application of the intimacy sermon series that we did in October. <laughs> you know, not just hearers of the word. So lots of, lots of interesting theories. But I think today we're at that point. Uh, we, we did go to the doctor on Thursday and found out that everything's going well with the pregnancy. And so we, we shared the news with our kids on Thursday and with you guys today, our church family. And so I think we're at that point of giving thanks to God today. So. All right. That, that was a, a difficult way of, of tying into the text here. But I hope, hope you appreciate the subtle nuance there. So let's get back to our story here. More importantly, this uh, from God's word as, as we're looking at these 10 people and, and really kind of contemplating what's the difference between the one and the nine? What caused one to come back and give thanks and have that heart of gratefulness? And where did the nine go? Why didn't they come back? And Jesus draws attention to that fact. Weren't there 10 of you healed? Where are the nine? Where did the nine go? Well, at the beginning of the story, we read here that these 10 lepers were, were uh, standing at a distance outside the village that Jesus was entering. And if you know anything about these skin diseases back in the, in the ancient Near Eastern world, this was a, a terrible situation to be in. This was a disease that led to isolation, loneliness. It brought shame, pain, discomfort. And really, this disease of leprosy became the all-consuming definition of their identity, their purpose, their future in life. And so all they've got is each other. Ten, ten hurting guys, they can hang out with one another because they're already infected, but they can't go near anyone else at risk of having that rub off on, on someone else. And so there they are at a, at a distance, calling out to Jesus in desperation, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And you know, it's easy to read a story like this and, and have, have a disconnect from the lives that we live today, right? Like we, prob- we don't have a leper colony in our neighborhood that we can identify with this story. The people that we see walking around Centennial or over at uh, Southlands for a Christmas parade on a Saturday night, uh, it seemed like half the city was out there. Um, they all looked like they pretty much had it together, you know, dressed well, looked like they'd, you know, they'd, they're, they're well fed, they, they appeared to be healthy on the outside. And yet I think we need a reality check that just like the 10 men in the story, we are surrounded by people who are isolated in shame and pain and discomfort and loneliness, a loneliness that defines who they are and where they're going in life. And that problem that every person we encounter around us has is called sin. And it's an ugly, contagious, all-consuming problem that affects every man, woman, and child. And if you can remember back to when that was the biggest part of your life, and you remember the day that you cried out in desperation, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me, and remember the joy that you tasted, it will bring you back to that place of calling out to God and saying, thank you, God, and falling on your face before him. And even a desperation to go out to the lost and bring the good news. 
We're not so far removed from the ten lepers in the story, are we? Well, they, they did get to that place of desperation where they cried out to Jesus. Maybe there's somebody in the room today that you've been living in that sin condition so long that it's become a way of life. And today the message of the story for you is cry out to Jesus for your healing. Cry out to him. He's the only hope you've got. He's the only one that can make you new. He's the only one that can turn your life around. And the opportunity is here today. He's a God who answers prayer, and he's with us here. Well, you know, the, the, next, the next part of the story here, as, as they call out to Jesus, he saw them, and then he says some simple words to them. He gives them some instructions. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Um, it's a, it's a command that makes sense because the priest would be the local guy who would have the authority to declare someone clean, cleansed. Okay? So the priest, you know, it'd be like saying, go to the doctor, go down to your local clinic. In, in, our, in our world today, you'd say, you know, go to the person who can give you a clean bill of health. And the priest in their village would be the person that they could go to that would take a look at them and go, yep, you, are, you no longer have to go back to the leper colony. You can return home to your family. You are clean. I declare you clean, ceremonially clean. You're no longer contagious. You're no longer a threat to the community. You're good to go. And yet, and yet beneath that, there is some, it's a bit strange that Jesus gives them this command, right? Like that was a step he wouldn't have had to do. In other healing instances in the Gospels, he doesn't make everybody go down to the, to the local priest at, at the synagogue, at the temple, to be declared healed. He, he'll just touch the eyes of a blind man, or he'll cast out an evil spirit, or he'll raise a crippled man, and they just take up, take up your mat and walk, he says earlier in Luke's gospel. Uh, so, so this isn't the only way that he heals people, and yet in this case he gives a command which maybe could have caused some of these guys to go, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, what good is that going to do? Why are you telling me to do something that seems strange and odd? And I'll tell you what, there are echoes of another Bible story here in this short little story that we read today. I encourage you to go home this week and read 2 Kings chapter 5. You may have read that story, heard it. It's probably being taught in kids' ministry today. It's one of these great texts. It's about the healing of Naaman. Do you remember Naaman? From 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. It says in 2 Kings that he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Okay, if you didn't know, Aram would be a non-Jewish region, okay? So this is not a Jewish guy. He's the commander of a neighboring pagan army, uh, but a valiant soldier with leprosy. And uh, um, amongst their conquests and and things that had happened in his past, he and his family had acquired an Israelite slave girl. And so this girl is living in their home, the servant to his wife. And this young lady, an Israelite, who knows the one true God, maker of heaven and earth, one day decides to tell her master, hey, you know, ma'am, if, if Naaman, if your husband were to go to Samaria and present himself to the prophet of God there, the one true God, maker of heaven and earth, could heal Naaman of his leprosy. Go to Samaria, a region of Israel, in North Israel, 
and he would, he would be healed. And so the wife brings this message to her husband, and he starts thinking about, well, what could it hurt? And he goes and asks for permission from the king of Aram. King of Aram says, absolutely, you're a valiant soldier. I'd love to see you get healed. Here's a bunch of gifts. Go over to the king of Israel, present this to him, and ask if his whatever magical prophet of God dude can heal you. Not a lot of understanding of what's going on here, likely, for these pagans. And yet Naaman sets out on a journey. He goes to Samaria, uh, sends a message to Elisha, the prophet of God there. Says, hey, I'm an important guy, a commander of an army. I'd like to get healed of leprosy. Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him. He sends a message by his messenger. Okay, tell this guy to go and wash seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman is outraged. What kind of disrespect for an important guy like me? I traveled all this way. My king sent me with gifts, and I don't even get the courtesy of you coming out to meet me here. Naaman says, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of leprosy. I had it figured out of how this would work. And he's telling me to go wash in the Jordan, the, the filthy, stinking Jordan River. We have better rivers back home in Damascus, and he's wanting me to go wash in his stinky Jordan River. This is a joke. And he turns and goes off in a rage. No, I'm not willing to obey. I'm not willing to submit. I'm not willing to humble myself. If I'm going to experience a healing, it will be on my terms and in the way I've envisioned and I've dreamed. And uh, the servant there in 2 Kings 5, he kind of gently comes up alongside Naaman. You know, Master, um, if the prophet would have required you to do some great thing, you would have done it, right? So, why not do this little thing that he's asking? And Naaman thinks about it. He's like, yeah, there's some wisdom in what you're saying. What, what could it hurt to go and dip myself seven times in the Jordan River? And so he takes that obedient step of faith, probably begrudgingly, probably maybe not with a whole lot of, you know, what we would consider faith, you know, within him. And yet there is obedience. And God uses that obedience as an indicator of the faith that he has in his working power. And he comes out with skin that's not just cleansed, but youthful skin. No wrinkles. He looks like a, a young boy. His skin is, is that fresh and, and pure. There's a connection here in this story and throughout Scripture between obedient faith and healing. You know, I think it's unfortunate that we've got in our, there, there's, there's a reality going on in American Christianity today where there's a blending of a pagan secular view with aspects of Christianity. So there, there was a book written in the 1960s uh, by Norman Vincent Peale about positive confession, right? So it's kind of this mind over matter, pagan secular philosophy that's out there in the air, right? If you just kind of declare things to be and speak them into existence, it's as if faith is some power that you have. That's not at all what we're seeing here in Scripture. That's not at all the biblical view of Scripture. It has nothing to do with the believing subject. It has everything to do with the object of faith. It's this trust and surrender. It's, it's like Naaman going, I don't get it. I don't like it. I've got no, no feelings, no tingles. 
in me, but fine. I will go down and dip myself in the Jordan River seven times. They probably won't do a stinking thing. That's faith. That's the kind of faith that God can work with. It's like the ten lepers here in the story where Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And if you notice, when the, guy, when the one comes back to give thanks, he's not giving thanks to himself. He's not falling down in worship of himself. Oh, what great faith I have that healed me, that forced God to do this thing because I'm so faith-filled, right? I'm not at all. His eyes were not on himself one iota. He's looking to the God who healed him. He's falling down in worship before Jesus, the object of his faith. So let's make sure we keep our heads and hearts clear on what faith really is. There's an obedient faith that's connected with healing. And it's not a, well, Lord, I believe, but I'm not going to do that. It's a, Lord, I believe, and then maybe a, you want me to do what? Okay. An eighth kid? All right, here we go. (laughs) There is faith that's required to operate in what God calls us to and to walk in those plans that he has. And we see that here in Luke's gospel. If you do a a study of Luke's gospel, you'll see that connection between obedient faith and healing over and over again. In chapter 5, there's a story of a a group of friends who bring their crippled friend to, to meet Jesus, to be healed. But when they get there, there's no way to get into the house. It's so packed. They, they crawl up on the roof and start removing roof tiles. And they lower their friend down to Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, these friends, it wasn't even the, the dude who needed the healing. It was the friends who were like, we have to get this guy to Jesus. He can heal him. He can, he can restore him and make him new. Then Jesus looks at the man on the mat and says, your sins are forgiven. And that leads to a whole debate with the religious people around. And, fi- and finally, he's like, oh, you think that was a big deal? All right, well, get up and take your mat and walk. And he heals that man there in, in Luke chapter 5. Chapter 8, there's a couple of healing stories where there's obedient faith connected with healing. There's the woman with the issue of blood who reaches out through the crowd and touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. And Jesus turns to her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And then right after that story, immediately Jesus is on his way to the home of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, because his 12-year-old daughter has died. And as he's on the way, Jesus says, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Well, that's a, again, that's a command that's easier said than done, right? Like, oh, whew, now that he said that, I have no more fear. No, I mean, put yourself in that position. Your child is dead. And when he says, do not fear, only believe, to me that would be as hard as saying, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River or take up your mat and walk or any of these commands. Obedient faith and the connection to healing. It's looking at the object of our faith. It's looking at Jesus as God's arrival on the scene, the one who changes the game for all of us and comes in and makes all things new. So for these guys, they, they didn't have that hesitation that Naaman did back in 2 Kings. We don't, we don't read about that. They headed out on the journey. Maybe they were just desperate enough that they would try anything. All right? We've called him Jesus, Master. We've called out to him for mercy. 
He's given, us, he's given us an order. Let's go. Let's set out. And as they're going, they were cleansed. And that obedient faith was part of the healing process that Jesus used in their lives. You know, today, I don't know what the healing is that you need. Maybe it's a sin issue that you've been battling. Maybe there's an addiction in your life and you're going, you know, I'd like to be healed instantaneously of this. I'd like to have my marriage restored instantly. I'd like to have the debt obliterated today. And yet often, Jesus uses a process. That obedient faith is a process like it was for these guys. There was a journey. There was some obedience along the way. And he he tends to work in that way where there's obedience coupled with the faith that brings the healing in our lives. So trust in him, even when you don't see the end. Follow his orders, his commands. You can find them right here and and trust him for the results. So now let's take a look at at the one versus the nine. And I'm, you know, as I'm reading the story, I'm wondering, is it more surprising that the one came back shouting and falling down and worshiping? Or is it more surprising that the nine did not come to express thankfulness? I wonder why they didn't come back. Maybe it was... Maybe they made it to the temple, they were healed, and they they thought, well, we've got to follow the orders, so let's get to the temple. And when the priest declared them clean, maybe at that point they started to have some fear, thinking, well, now do do we go back and identify with Jesus? Because he's already been labeled as a marked man. He's already on the outs with the religious leaders. Maybe there was some fear that motivated them to not return. Maybe it was fear of what the other eight guys would think. Well, yeah, we all saw that one Samaritan dude run back, but we're all good Jewish dudes. And these other eight guys aren't moving. I don't want to be the first. Maybe there was some fear of man that prevented them from giving thanks. They didn't want to look like a fool. Maybe it was other priorities, like they wanted to be reunited with their families. You know, they'd been living in this leper colony, and they had, they had another priority today. Like, I, I, I just got to get home and hug my wife and see my kids again. Maybe this is just an indication that even a divine work of healing in someone's life is not always enough to bring them to Jesus. Maybe even when there's radical supernatural intervention and and God steps into the scene in a person's life and delivers them and heals them, maybe there's still the possibility of that event in a person's life not producing genuine faith. We saw that a lot in John's gospel, right? The people that were, you know, it was kind of the, uh, the day of the feeding of the, the 5,000, the day of the feeding of the 4,000. There were people that were just coming back the next day for another meal. And even though they had seen the fish and the loaves multiplied, they were, they were going to Burger King, not King Jesus. You know, where's my next meal coming from? Or maybe for these guys, it was just that the fact that there are, for all of us, those memories of what God has done in the past, if we don't keep recalling them and keep crying out with thanksgiving, they quickly fade in our minds. The cares of right now tend to cause those things to fall to the back of our minds. And we so quickly lose sight of the fact that we were isolated, we were lost, we were broken, we were in desperate need. And Jesus reached out and saved us. And what about today? 
Have you yelled in a loud voice yet today? Thank you, God, for saving me. Have you fallen down on your face before Jesus and declared him to be the Lord today with thanksgiving, with joy over what he's done in your life? There's a connection here between humility and gratitude. The one, he didn't care who was on the road on the way back to Jesus. He was yelling out loud for all the world to hear. He didn't care what he looked like laying in the dirt at Jesus' feet. It was all about worshiping the God who had made him, saved him, renewed him, cleansed him, made him new. Paul gives this command to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church in chapter 5, verse 20. After he talks about be filled with the Spirit, here's what that looks like. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always and for everything. Uh, Some things are easier to give thanks for than others. Some days it's easier to give thanks than others. But the command is give thanks always and for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right towards the end of this story, we we find out some more information about the man. You know, I've already alluded to this, but in verse 16, he was a Samaritan. This is really the practical story that ties in with the parable Jesus told earlier in Luke's gospel. There in chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? There's a man who's beat up and robbed and left naked and left for dead on the the road. And some religious Jewish people who should know God and know his word and know his plans, they they have excuses and reasons why they walk past him. And then this Samaritan guy goes and, and picks him up, puts him on his donkey, leads him to an inn, pays to have him healed and cleansed. And in both these stories, it's the outsider who gets it. It's the, the one who's on the fringe, the, the unexpected hero of the story, right? And, and there's, a, there's a pointed message that Jesus is bringing to all of us religious people. Remain thankful. Be an instrument of God's healing in this world. Don't, don't leave it up to just the outsiders, but you get on board with what God is doing. Fall at Jesus' feet. I love the the words of the the old song. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Man, there are some simple things that we overlook, right? Has anyone in the room this morning when you woke woke up just, thank you, God, for a a new breath, a, a breath today. Thank you that I can breathe. Thank you for oxygen as little as there is here at 6,000 feet. Thank you for taste buds. You didn't have to put those on our tongues. We could have just had, you know, to put calories in. And yet, in his creative design, he's like, no, I'm going to give you taste buds so you can savor different flavors. Thank you for elbows so I can feed myself and not need a friend to help. Thank you for smiles. They're universal. And they work in every culture around the world. Thank you for mountain views. Do you still look at them? 
And these good things, they are gifts from God. They're not rights that we're entitled to. Have you ever had that happen in your family where uh, we, we had it where I think it was when McDonald's had the 49 cent ice cream cones? <laughs> really high quality uh, delicacy there, by the way. <clears throat> but, you know, at, at first it was, hey, kids, we're going we're gonna to stop and get an ice cream. Oh, wow, an ice cream cone. But when they're only 49 cents, you stop every time you're driving by, and pretty soon it's no longer a gift, it's an entitlement. What do you mean we're not going to McDonald's to get a 49 cent ice cream cone? And at that moment, you're like, yep, that's the end of that gift. <laughs> but we're like that with God, right? We start to look at the blessings in our lives and, 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 and lose sight of the fact that they're gifts from God. We think they're entitlements. I deserve all this stuff I've got and my family and, and health and my career, my job, my future. We need that humility that comes back to him and says, no, you are the, the source of every blessing. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Right? The, the very last verse, verse 19, there's a, a further command that Jesus gives this one thankful Samaritan former leper. And he says, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. That word rise, uh, get up, would trigger some recognition for readers of Luke's gospel in the first century. Because they're going to see the word resurrection there. They're going to they're they're see an echo of what's to come in Luke's gospel. Get up, arise. They're going to see that resurrection word right here. And there's a second work of healing in this man's life. A second command. Now it's not go and be cleansed from your leprosy on the way to the temple. It's arise. It's go on your way. There's a mission for you to live as a new creation, to be a part of God's kingdom, his eternal plan right now. And he sends him out in that new life, made well. Not because he was so faith-filled and so awesome, but because the object of his faith was, was the right place. He came and he fell down at Jesus' feet. He praised him, gave thanks to him, praising God with a loud voice. And today, as we, as we conclude our service, we're going to have an opportunity to do that today. We're going to uh, celebrate communion together. Uh, you don't have to be a member of our church to join in crying out to God and worshiping Jesus with us as we remember communion. But you do need to be a follower of Jesus. That's the requirement that we have. It's the requirement that's within Scripture. So if you're a member of a different church, but you're here worshiping with us today, we invite you to be a part of celebrating and remembering what our Lord did on the cross together with us. If you're still in that place of contemplating, considering Jesus, this would be a good time for some reflection and to think and to pray and to observe as, as we give thanks. And then I'd love to pray with you right after church today so that you can also cry out to God with a loud voice and fall down before him and make him your Lord and Savior today. So let me pray for us. Why don't we stand together in his presence and then we're going to receive communion together. Jesus, we do give you thanks and praise. Lord, forgive us when, for when uh, you have worked in our hearts and in our lives and we just keep going our own way. God, today we, we don't do that. We turn, we come back, we return. We come to you 
shouting our praise to you, shouting our thanks to you, falling before you in worship. You are all glorious and merciful. You're our healer. You're our only hope. And today we do count our blessings. Thank you that you are the God of new life. You're the God of resurrection. Thank you that you restore and cleanse. Thank you that you deal with our sin problem. That you take us from isolation and ugliness and contagiousness and desperation. And you make us new and you cleanse us. And you bring us to yourself and embrace us and call us your own. And then you reintroduce us to community with one another. And as we give thanks today, as we take communion, we remember your broken body and your shed blood for our sins. We thank you for your finished work on the cross. We thank you for your great love that you poured out. And we look forward to your return. In Jesus' name we pray.